Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's word to be empowered and challenged today. We are starting a new series that kind of actually started over Easter weekend, but we're starting this series called I Believe, where we're exploring the Apostles' Creed. We, we kind of looked at this um, a couple uh, last week when we talked about I believe in the resurrection of the dead and I believe Jesus died and rose again. And um, the creed is this ancient statement of faith that starts off with this phrase, I believe. And if you've been in church for a while, you might have heard this ancient body of information that captures what it means to be a Christian. But even as we get into it and we talk about belief today, we're going to examine just that phrase, I believe, which appears three times in the Apostles' Creed. And and we need to do that because our culture has a very interesting view of belief. Our culture tends to think that belief means blind faith, and it means anything but that. Let's watch this video. Honestly, never stops being hilarious when religious people all of a sudden start asking for evidence. (laughs) If there were any evidence of Mary's existence at all, your religion wouldn't be a religion. It would just be historical fact. Christianity is completely faith-based. Evidence is the antithesis of faith. If you, sir, could provide me evidence of Mary's existence, I'd join Christianity. This video is captioned, you either have evidence or you have faith, you cannot have both. On this view, faith and evidence are opposites. As the creator of the video says, evidence is the antithesis of faith. Now, if you want to critique a view, you should critique the view itself, not some distortion of the view. Otherwise, you're just creating a straw man. This content creator is welcome to make up her own definition of faith if she likes have at it. But she isn't welcome to make up what the biblical authors mean when they use the word. The idea that evidence is the antithesis of faith is not a Christian concept. In fact, biblically informed Christians define faith as something like trusting in what you have good reason to believe is true. And where would a biblically informed Christian get such an idea? I'm glad you asked. This is what the Bible teaches. Go ahead, read it for yourself. I'll wait. Here's one example. In John chapter 20, the apostle John tells us why he wrote his gospel. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's purpose in writing down the signs he witnessed was to provide his readers with evidence so they would believe. Now be honest. Does this sound like John wants us to believe without evidence? Does this sound like John thinks evidence is the antithesis of faith? Of course not. Now, someone may assess the evidence and find it wanting. Fair enough. But that doesn't change the nature of biblical faith. So this video gets faith wrong. Faith isn't believing in spite of the evidence, but rather believing in light of the evidence is what you do in response to the evidence. An analogy might help. 
Imagine you're standing at the edge of Niagara Falls, and while you're watching this magnificent waterfall, you notice a tightrope walker walking from one side to the other, pushing a wheelbarrow full of rocks. You're mesmerized by his amazing ability, so you keep watching him do it over and over again. Let's say he does it 5, 10, 15 times in a row. Now imagine he sees you watching him and he comes over to you and asks, do you have faith that I could do it again? And you say, sure, I've seen you do it all day. Then he dumps the rocks out and says, okay, climb in. Do you get it? You believe based on the evidence, seeing him do it 15 times in a row, but it's not mere belief or assent. Stepping into the wheelbarrow is an act of trust. So think of biblical faith like active trust or commitment based on evidence. Unfortunately, many people, including some Christians, don't understand biblical faith. Sadly, there are many who will blindly believe this video without looking into what Christianity actually teaches. Ironically, this concept of faith is just asserted without any evidence. In other words, she expects us to accept her understanding on blind faith. Don't take the bait. I believe. Uh, I believe does not mean blind faith, but rather is, it is an informed faith. Let me give you another example. If you're going out to a restaurant or you're looking for a restaurant to go to, what do you do? You get on Yelp or you get on Google and you begin to look at pictures and you begin to look at reviews. And based on those pictures and based on the reviews of those restaurants, you come to maybe not knowledge, but evidence of what that restaurant is like and if it is worth you actually showing up and trying their food. Do you know for certain that that restaurant is worth it? No, you don't know, but you've examined the evidence and it's logical that you would express faith in going to that restaurant and making a purchase and giving them your time. It is very similar with biblical faith. Biblical faith saying, I believe, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Holy Spirit, is not blind faith. It is an informed faith that captures both our head and our heart. In Romans 10, 8 through 10, Paul writes this. He says, the message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, that word confess has to do with this idea of acknowledge. If you acknowledge, there's an element that's cognitive. There's an element of your head. Acknowledge has the word no in it. So you believe in your head that Jesus is Lord. But then it also says this, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now he said, confess with your mouth, but he also says, believe in your heart. And that word believe, I believe, means that you put your confidence in it. It's not just an ascension to a fact. It is, I will revolve my life around it. I will believe. I do believe. I believe. The Apostles' Creed starts off saying, I believe. And the word creed comes from the Latin word Credo. Do you know what credo means? It simply means belief. So the Apostles' Creed is a summary statement of belief. And now it comes from out of the second century. It's over 1,800 years old. And people who were about to get baptized would recite the Apostles' 
Creed, which we'll say at the end of the service. Now, the Apostles' Creed, some people go, why do we need this creed? We have the Bible, which is a great question. Because here at New City, we say often that we are rooted in the word. We are here because of what this says. We do what this says. This is our authority. Well, one pastor says that the creed functions to the Bible as the moon functions to the sun. The sun is the holy scripture. And yet the moon reflects the beams of the sun. The moon doesn't have its own light. It only reflects what the sun shines on it. So the Apostles' Creed is a summary reflection of what this says. And as we think about creeds, creeds are just a short statement of faith. They're usually memorizable. They're meant so that we can put it in our head and we can memorize it in a week if we tried. Some of the creeds are the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, and the Nicene Creed. We also have in our faith something called a confession. And a confession is like a really, really long creed that explains the implications of our faith. And a confession might be the Westminster Confession of Faith. We also have these things called catechisms, which we used to teach our kids. And catechisms are a summary of the faith that are in question and answer form. But, but whatever you are with this, even as you wrestle with creeds and confessions and, and catechisms, there's one thing I really, really want you to get because you'll make me look bad if you don't get this as a pastor. And it's this, the Apostles' Creed is not the same as Apollo Creed. And I really want you to get that because if you don't get that, then everyone here is gonna leave the church and no one's gonna understand. Huge difference between Apostles' Creed and Apollo Creed. So well, that's what it means to believe. But, but as we talk about this, I believe in Jesus Christ, as we talk about I believe in God the Father, I believe in the Holy Spirit, what happens when we say I believe together? What happens? Well, as we say I believe, and as we recite the creed together, it roots us. It also forms us. And lastly, it unites us. So let's explore those three things. First, when we say, I believe, it roots us. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, Paul writes to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and Paul says this, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me, Timothy, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, when Paul says the word sound teaching, that word sound has to do with health. You can picture a plant that is healthy and a plant that is alive but not healthy, and you can, you can picture the difference. Or, or we could even picture music that is in tune and music that is out of tune. And what Paul's telling Timothy is there is teaching that comes from Christianity that is true and healthy and sound. And then there are times when people take Christianity and they distort it and they teach things that are not true or they seem true, but they're not. One of these is the prosperity gospel that teaches as long as you love God, he will give you everything you want and make your life great and you won't have to walk through any fires. But that's simply not true, is it? That's unsound teaching. So, so when we say, I believe, we're holding on to this sound teaching that Paul also calls a good deposit. What does that mean? 
Well, Timothy was not witness to the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. He wasn't there when the cross happened. Timothy wasn't there at the empty tomb. He wasn't there on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to Paul. Uh, But Paul did see the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus taught Paul who he was, and he taught Paul what the basics of the faith were, and then Paul transferred that to Timothy as a body of information, as, as form and fact, and said, this is our faith in Jesus Christ. This is what's true. Root yourself in it and guard it. This is a good deposit. Paul is talking about the word doctrine, about what's true that the Bible teaches about Jesus. And sometimes we hear the word doctrine and we go, you lost me. Doctrine is for dusty books. Uh, But that's not how Paul treats it. Look at even the way in this particular passage he says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In In other words, correct teaching about Jesus is tied to the faith in Jesus and the love of Christ for us the sacrificial, selfless love of Jesus that we saw in the cross for us is tied to correct teaching about Jesus. In other words, you can't separate doctrine from who Jesus is, and you can't separate a relationship with Jesus from what is taught about him. They go together. To even take this deeper, it's as if Paul really wants us to get the point. He says, guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. In other words, this body of doctrine, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he helps us sift through what's not true and what is true about who Jesus is and about what the Christian faith embodies. See, sometimes people go, I don't need doctrine. I don't need theology. I don't need these creeds. I just have a relationship with Jesus. And listen, Jesus will meet you wherever you're at, which is why he's so good. But here Paul says part of growing in faith is not just being led moment by moment by the Holy Spirit, but actually letting the Holy Spirit teach you about who Jesus is and guarding that so that it's not distorted. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. There's these pastors that have a podcast called Doctrine and devotion. And I love that because doctrine should lead us to a greater love for Jesus and a greater love for Jesus, a devotion for Jesus should be shaped by doctrine that's true about Jesus. So there actually are things that we're called to believe that root us as believers, that will root us together. And even as we think about our children, rooting our children in these things, I think there can be a temptation as parents with everything else going around. We're wrestling with social media and bullying and things like that. And we kind of go, man, I don't don't have time to teach my kid the content of our faith. They'll they'll figure it out. No, they won't. They need our help. As we root deep in who Jesus is, so they need our help to be rooted in what's true about Jesus. Even Timothy, who Paul's writing this letter to, he He writes about his mother, 
Timothy's mother and grandmother and how they taught him the faith. They rooted him in what was true about Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, if we don't root our kids in what's true, they are more likely to wander away because they do not know who Jesus is in reality. Trevin Wax puts it this way, the first generation knows what to do and why, which is the gospel. The second generation keeps the what, but loses the why, they lose the gospel. And the third generation loses both the what and the why. Now look, I'm not talking about shoving theology down your kid's throat. I'm not talking about beating them over the head with the Bible. I'm telling you that we need to tell our kids who Jesus is and what he's done for them. That Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we deserve to die. He rose from the dead and defeated sin and death and the devil. He ascended into heaven and he rules and reigns at the right hand of God. And he has sent the Holy Spirit to live in us so that we now have the power to live the Christian life. And one day Jesus will return and make all things new. Why wouldn't we want to root in that? And why wouldn't we want to root our kids in that reality? When we say, I believe, I believe roots us, but it also forms us. In Ephesians 4, verse 13, Paul writes, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Now, I, I want you to notice something here, that when Paul talks about faith, he doesn't just say faith, he says the faith. So he's not just talking about us believing God and God, that God will come through. Which is true, we do believe that. God will come through. We heard that story with Mark earlier. But he's telling us that there is a faith. There is an article there, the faith. There is something that we're supposed to believe as Christians. And, and when he says, in the knowledge of God's son, he's not just talking about relationship with Jesus. What's held up in that term is correct teaching. So we have the faith, and we're supposed to have correct knowledge about who Jesus is, and that is part of the process of us growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, what's it, what I love about that is where he says growing into maturity, what he's getting at is, is we're becoming mature, we're becoming full-grown, we're becoming the, the, the best type of human being in Christ. There is a form that we take as we confess what we believe, which is so hard for us in this cultural moment. We talked about this several weeks ago where, where the mantra we hear is not form your heart, but follow your heart, right? Whatever your heart wants must be good. And so we're not told to become more like Christ and form ourselves that way. We're told become more you, become more me. That's what it means to be fully alive according to our culture. But Paul says, no, the most mature type of human being, the most fully alive human being is the one who's being formed into Christ, who is the greatest human being who ever lived. So what is forming your heart that you're following? Well, in our culture, there are so many creeds that people believe. 
YOLO. You only live once. Do it. That's a creed people believe. Love is love. That's another creed people believe. Some people say, make America great again, or the future is female. These creeds are things that people believe, and when you believe it, it forms you and forms your heart. But what about what the Apostles' Creed says? I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Man, how does that form your heart when you sin, when you fall short daily? and you remind yourself every day, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Does that form you? What about when someone else sins against you? We're told to like uh, cut people off. Anyone that hurts us, ditch them. But if we believe in the forgiveness of sins, and that's true, not just for me, but also for them, not just for you, but everyone who is in Christ. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. What about when I despair? over how evil and broken the world is and how people are just wicked and seeming to get away with things that are murderous and treacherous. I believe Jesus will come again and he will judge the living and the dead. Now that sobers us because we realize that we have sin in our lives as well, but we know that we are forgiven in Christ and we know that one day Jesus will come and set things right. He will banish evil forever and new creation will infiltrate the entire world and evil will be no more. I believe he will come again to judge the living and the dead. What about when you're alone and you feel like you're so weak and you just can't get this Christian thing right? And there's just always this version of yourself that you think you should be and you could just never get there? I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit who comes and lives inside of me. Not that I deserve God to live inside of me, but Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to live inside me and empower me in the midst of weakness and help me get out of bed when I failed God miserably the day before and give me the boldness I need to share my faith even though sometimes I doubt my faith. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Or what about this, one that sobers us? I believe in Jesus Christ who suffered under Pontius Pilate. Even as Pastor Mark read that scripture that reminds us, just as Jesus suffered, so we too will suffer in this world. But that doesn't mean something's wrong. That doesn't mean we failed at our Christian faith. It doesn't even mean God's mad at us. It forms us to be ready for suffering in the midst of a broken world. I think of one of my friends who went to a closed country to do some pastoral teaching. This guy was a pastor and he went to a country where you're not allowed to be a Christian. And on Sunday morning, slowly these Christians would gather at this house, just two by two. They couldn't show up in groups of five or 10 because then the authorities would know what they were really trying to do there. But just two by two, they would go into the house and they would sit down on the couches and very quietly, they would sing hymns so not to attract attention from the neighbors. And then my friend would teach them from the Bible, but they didn't hold the Bible in their hand. They would put it on the floor by their feet. And then they would turn the TV on and they would put on an episode of Seinfeld, but it was on pause. 
And the reason that they had the Bible down by their feet and the reason that they had Seinfeld on pause was because they were waiting for this. They were waiting for the authorities to show up and say, what's going on in here? And as their Bibles were on the ground, they could easily take their feet and slide the Bible underneath the couch so all the Bibles became invisible. And as the door opened, they could hit play on the episode of Seinfeld, and if the authorities asked, what's going on in here? They could say, well, our American friend is teaching us about American culture. Now that had only been going on for about five seconds, but it was still true, it was not a lie. But why would someone show up to that and risk themselves Sunday after Sunday unless they'd been formed by this? I believe in Jesus Christ who suffered under Pontius Pilate. See, knowing the creed, knowing what we believe gives us resiliency in the midst of our own suffering for our faith. It reminds us that this is part of it. When things get hard at church or in family or walking with Jesus, that doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It just means it's part of being a Christian. This is what we believe. And even as we hear those believers in China, we're reminded that as they say the creed, which probably hundreds have this morning, in China and in Africa and in Eastern Europe and Russia, uh, we're connected to them. We're saying the same creed. We're believing the same thing. We're we're much like an aspen forest. Have you ever seen an aspen forest? I love aspen forests. They're so beautiful. I think we have a picture of one. Last Sunday, my wife asked me, what do you want to do the afternoon? I said, I want to go to Colorado. And she said, besides that, like we can't do that and get home in time for dinner. But I just love aspen forests and I wanted to go. But the interesting thing about an aspen forest is that all the trees that you see that are visible are actually connected underground. It's actually one living organism. We have a picture of their root system you can put up. So what you see is a tree above the ground, but actually all those trees are connected together by their roots. And even if one tree falls down, the root system can produce another tree. And it reminds me, it reminds me of us as believers connected around the world by what we believe. Now, some might be in China, some might be in Hollywood, uh, some might be in Africa, but we are connected by Jesus Christ who gives us life. We may be in different places. Some of us might get chopped down at times, but it is, it is what we believe and what we hold on to in faith that connects us both geographically and generationally. Because what we believe not only forms us, but it unites us. That's the last point, that what I believe, what you believe in Jesus unites us. In Ephesians 4, Paul says this, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is what? One body and just as you were called to hope at your calling. Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. 
See, see, what we believe and who we are in Christ and the fact that we say these things are true and Jesus really did resurrect from the dead, it, it bonds us into this new family that, that we don't have to be the same type of people. We don't have to be from the same generation or the same geography or the same work class, but we are bonded together and unified by one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. I am reminded of something that happened in the year 203. Not 2003, but 203. 1,820 years ago. May 7th, 203 AD. In Carthage, which was in North Africa, there was an arena of gladiators and beasts and six Christians who were killed in that arena in Carthage. Now, five of those Christians had been arrested for their faith. One, one of them was a woman who was just 21 years old. Her name was Perpetua. And she was from the noble class. She was wealthy. And when her father found out that she was a believer in Jesus, he beat her. Eventually, she was arrested for her faith. But along, along with her was not just people from the upper class, but people from the lower class as well. In fact, there was another woman whose name was Felicitas. And together, along with those five others, Perpetua and Felicitas were thrown into the gladiator's arena and the bulls were unleashed on them because they said, I believe. And the bulls struck them and knocked them both over. And when they came to, they stood up and embraced each other. You see, they had been prepared for this. They had been in jail together. And the crowd noticed that while most people die and fight alone, these two were bonded and unified, standing tall together, facing death. In fact, the night before, these believers who were going to be killed that next day were permitted a last meal together. They called it an agape meal, a meal of love, where they were able to sit down and enjoy one another. And people would pass by making fun of them because they knew they were going to be killed in the arena the next day. But there together, unified by their belief in Jesus, they were strengthened, even unto the point where they were ready to die together. Perpetua wrote most of this down in a journal leading up to her death. And then someone else who we don't know what it is continued the journal to recount the events that actually happened. But what we found out is as these believers were dying together, they were embracing. And when they knew it was time, when they knew their bodies had taken the limit, they ended their life by giving each other a kiss of peace. Family unified together, facing death because of what they believed in Jesus. Now, now, one of the people that was there that died was a man named Satyrus. And Satyrus is a little bit like a pastor. Uh, he was there to train these new converts about how to follow Jesus. And in fact, when they got arrested and they were put in jail, he went to the jail and said, look, you didn't arrest me, but you might as well go ahead and do it because I believe too. And he was put in jail with Perpetua and Felicitas and the others. 
And while he was there, they befriended one of the jailers. The jailer's name was Pudens. He was a soldier who was in charge of the jail. And because this man saw the deep conviction of these believers as they headed towards their death, he was deeply affected. And there in the arena, the same arena where Perpetua and Felicitas died, Satyrus was attacked by a leopard and was bleeding to death. And the jailer, Pudens, went out to him and embraced him. And as they looked at each other, one man, one who believes, one man who did not believe, but is watching these people die for their belief. Satyrus looks at Pudens and says, remember me and remember the faith. Remember me and remember the faith. Remember what I believe. Remember what we believe. Remember that we believe in Jesus Christ. And Putin's not only remembered, just a few weeks later, he came to believe himself. Friends, what we believe about Jesus isn't just some powerless information. It is the truth about who Jesus is and how he has changed us. And it gives us a boldness to stand in unity together so we can look at each other in the face of challenges and hardships and trials and say, we were called to one hope at our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. When we say, I believe, it roots us. When we say, I believe, it forms us. And when we say, I believe, it unites us together. Maybe you've never said the Apostles' Creed before, but I want to invite you now to end our time by standing together. And let's say this ancient creed together, knowing that it roots us, it forms us, and it unites us together. Go ahead. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy United Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www dot newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.